the only senior pros that he wasn't picking were Hendrick for Malumbi. Like, I wouldn't pick Hendrick off the ground. <laughs> this is Tim Sherwood. The Villa podcast win ratio is second to none. Harry Maguire has to start, they said. Gareth Southgate trusts him, they said. There are no better alternatives. His club form doesn't matter. Like, you know, with Trent, it's different because there are other elite players in that position, apparently. He's been really good for England in two tournaments. I mean, where do we want to start with this? Why are we bending over backwards? What, what is happening that the entire country is doing a lot of mental gymnastics to excuse Harry Maguire getting in this England team like for starters why are they playing three centre-backs to make room for him you know it seems like they're really upending the rest of the team to try and make room for this weird asset to have at the back that's going to make things worse for them what level do they think Harry Maguire is operating at that they couldn't possibly lower $10 alternative like there's this idea that you know there are no convincing alternatives that's like that would imply that Harry Maguire is at any kind of standard at the minute that nobody else would simply compare. But like he is not only shoulder to shoulder with the likes of I don't know, take your pick, Mings, who doesn't seem to get mentioned anywhere, Connor Cody, Tamori. He's not shoulder to shoulder with these boys. He's below them at the minute, and he's not even playing any football. And do you know who else was really good in these past tournaments? Fucking John Terry. I mean, how far are we going back here now? Because this is <laughs> this is sixteen months now that we've been talking. We we were talking before the Euros that the rating of Harry Maguire was a bit strange, and you know we all knew that he was probably a bit overrated. He did all right in the England system, so it was fine. And I think we sort of agreed at the time Harry Maguire was grand. Like he was not special. He definitely wasn't what the like of Gary Neville was trying to make him out to be. But then after the Euros, it, you know, it just went from bad to worse for him. And it was excused as having a hangover. And then obviously we know that hangover went on for the full season. But now it's not a case that he's playing too much football or he didn't get a rest. Now he's doing nothing but resting. And he's still, he's still Harry Maguire. He's still stinking up the place. And I think that is the only place we can start. Yeah, I think it's a little bizarre that this Thursday slot is ostensibly a general football show and yet you persist in raising an issue that is so abstracted from the basic concept of what football is that it <laughs> to, be, to, to be quite frank on it makes a mockery of your show <laughs> i mean you, you might as well analyze the fashion choices of a few millionaire work colleagues at cheltenham during a football podcast let's talk about harry Maguire because they're both equally relevant to the sport and look at i'm obviously wary about going over old ground but this is the thing Harry Maguire is like a fucking donkey tied to a mill. Like the, this ground is so well trodden. You throw the donkey a football and the two of them would be indecipherable from each other. <laughs> and he keeps making the same mistakes. And he keeps making them because he's shite at football. Yeah. He, he's, he's flat-footed when anyone runs at him because he can't think quickly enough and he's clumsy. And he gets caught on the ball because he can't think quick enough and he's clumsy. And and these have been persistent and intractable issues for Harry Maguire. It's not recent. I wasn't calling Harry Maguire shite four years ago because he was good. 
It was because he was shite. Like people actually talk about his form. This isn't his form. Yeah. This is this is his intrinsic nature, his his essence, his form, if you will. Like this <laughs> is Harry Maguire. Yeah. Yeah, th- this is him. And like you're touching on a couple of things there that I do want to talk about because I don't even want to call them narratives. Like if we're talking about form and we're talking about media reports, it's like where where has it come from that, that it's gotten into people's heads that they think Harry Maguire's good on the ball? Where where has that where has that developed? Like and it's strange that people just accepted it as a, that's one of the things that Harry Maguire brings to the team. I feel like somebody just said that before he joined the United team. And it, it just caught on somewhere along the way, no matter how many times. Like, I haven't seen a player give away the ball as much. Like, you know, that's that's either just hitting it off an advertising horn or just giving it to a midfielder or a forward. Like, he gets caught in the ball. Like, yes, it's his decision-making. It's his inability to get it out of his feet. And it's his inability to, to, to really, you know, maneuver the ball in a tight scenario like he's not good on the ball I don't know where that's come from there's a funny TikTok that goes around of him now it shows Messi it shows Ronaldo and then it shows Harry Maguire doing stepovers for Leicester and (laughs) is that where it came from they did a couple of stepovers that a defender just backed off when he was doing it he's not good on the ball and he's not fast for a big man I don't know where that came from he's obviously not fast everybody knows that although Somewhere along the way, when we're discussing Harry Maguire, we say he's good in the ball and he's fast. We need him in the team. Harry Maguire is good in the air and he's strong. How many people? How many people? I'm not saying footballers. How many people can we bring in to do those same stuff? Um, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's it's bizarre. I know, I know Gareth Southgate's wasted his last competitive games just trying to trying to get Harry Maguire's form back and he did he got it back because all he had to do was play him he had to just play him again and we would all see what Harry Maguire's form is yeah what Harry Maguire is yeah. most importantly the, the narrative around him being good in the ball I can only assume it was because do you remember whenever Southgate first got the job he dropped Chris Smalling because he wasn't good on the ball <laughs> so then you know tacitly that's saying that that Harry Maguire is because he was in the squad <laughs> He, he also cost 80 million, so he has to be good on the ball. How could he possibly be bad on the ball if you're spending 80 million on him? And the other thing as well, it's probably a little bit deeper than that. This is just the British Isles as well. You know, anybody who strikes the ball can often get labelled by some numpties in the media or ex-pros as having a good range of passing or good, being good on the ball. Wayne Rooney used to get lauded for his range of passing what people meant by that was Wayne Rooney could hit the ball 60 yards yeah. didn't matter if a fullback just headed it out of play at the end of that pass <laughs> it just meant he had a good range of passing because he could strike the ball in the direction he wanted to strike it and it's probably the same with Harry Maguire yeah yeah, Wayne Rooney loved putting the ball on Raphael's head on the sideline, and <laughs> like Wayne Rooney was obviously good on the ball, but went in the centre midfield. He just loved that move, and when he spray a seventy-yard pass over and hope that the fullback can try and get this under control, and I get the applause, even though all I've done is wasted three seconds of spraying this ball across to a worse player than me. <laughs> and it was so often intercepted as well and he used to talk about wanting to emulate Paul Scholes yeah. so you can clearly see that's what he was trying to do whenever Paul Scholes played that pass not only did it go on to the fullback's foot it was also the right pass at the right time Wayne Rooney thought hitting the ball out to the wing was the right pass at the right time irrelevant <laughs> to what was going on on the pitch yeah well, let's talk about England before we have to just you know, scutter over Ireland because I don't think we want to spend too much time talking about that um, it's more fun talking about another country who aren't going as well and 
begs the question, are, are England done for? I mean, is, is that too early to say? But I feel like it might be too late to pull this whole thing together now, considering the World Cup is a few weeks away. Like, they're... <laughs> They're actually lucky it is a Winter World Cup because imagine it had have taken place this summer when like it should have been if it was a World Cup they would have been smoked like because they've probably well they've definitely never gone through a worse patch on their Southgate and they and they have now the whole thing looks they have fallen apart. But like, what do you mean pull it together? And th- th- this is exactly what England are under Gareth Southgate. It's the same as Harry Maguire and it predates Gaz as well. Gaz. <laughs> <laughs> England, England don't win. England don't win against good teams, and the Nations League just exposes that. Oh, the Nations it, League will find you out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, like England's most significant result has been beating the German side at the a German side at the end of their cycle in the round of sixteen at the Euros, and that was a German side as well that lost six 0 to Spain and two one to North Macedonia in the previous six months. Yeah, like I still think it's something to be proud of, but it's it's also on top of that a complete anomaly. Like. The, the Nations League exposes that. They're not a serious football team at the top end of the sport under this manager. But Conan, like <laughs> I said last week, luckily <laughs> enough, the top end of the sport is very narrow and there are very few teams there. And it's there's no way is it too late for them. I mean, the winners of the World Cup only play seven games and you could get away without winning any of them. I mean, like, you know, things, things can happen in a tournament. The favourites can be ambushed before a team like England has to play them. You, you, I don't know, you could end up having to play Sweden, Colombia and Croatia to get to a final, for example. <laughs> and if, you, and if, you're, if you're playing tight football with Kane, Foden and Sterling or whoever it is up top, it could work. You're relying on luck, but it could work. And that's what Big Gas is relying on and hoping for. Of course... I don't think it'll work either, but you know, you never know. <laughs> ah, like that, like probably the the biggest strength out of their uh, year that they've had so far is that yeah, that they're not going in as one of the favorites anymore. Like they'll be one of them, but they're not. I, I thought you know, just this should be England now, definitely one of the top two or three teams going into this World Cup, and they're not. Even though I think they have the players for it, and the way they're playing at the minute, people are questioning that now at the minute. Um, I mean. <laughs> I think the Germany game when they went 2-0 down probably summed up a bit of the frustration around Gaz. It's just like, to, like when they had the attack when they went 2-0 down unsurprisingly they looked way better when they stopped when they stopped focusing on their weakness and actually started you know going after their strengths which is getting at teams with the players they have the players they can bring on to the pitch you know just throw Mason Mount on there see what happens yeah like that, that's going to be really good it's <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> now I'm actually wondering though. Like, yeah, this is the thing, right? They're going to get through the group. We know that. Um, I think they have Iran in the first game, so they'll get through the group, and then it's four games to win a to win a World Cup. And yeah, they'll play tight, and they've got they've got enough players of physical capabilities, of enough experience to to sit tight. And yeah, they've got enough players, maybe to hurt teams, maybe not the best teams. It's the same conversation we're having all the time. But I'm now wondering, is he going to double down on defence? I don't think this Germany game is going to get into his head. It's too tight to the World Cup. He's not going to think, actually, maybe people are onto something here. And I'm wondering, is he going to drop Bellingham when Calvin Phillips is fit again? 
<laughs> yeah, he probably will. And <laughs> but what he'll actually probably do is tell everybody, and he'll have a few uh, people trumpeting this for him as well that he's managing his way through the tournament. Yeah, which means he's just picking more defensive players whenever they play a team with any sort of semblance of an attacking threat. You know, if they come up against somebody like Ivan Perisic, <laughs> you know, like they couldn't possibly, they couldn't possibly defend against him without loading seven defenders onto the pitch and that's what he'll do but as soon as he comes up against a big team he'll he'll pack as many defensive minded players as he can into the team that's what he does yeah worth keeping an eye on anyway let's uh let's go over <laughs> yeah we'll keep an eye on the world cup yeah. <laughs> um, let's skirt over republic of ireland you were at this game uh, on tuesday night i mean i think We've we've talked often, probably not in this podcast, but just the general Irish public have talked often about the, the Stephen Kenny project, and you know I'm desperate to see it click, and I think it's because I'm enjoying games way more, I look forward to them way more than I ever used to. You know the the the, the buzz is real, it's it's alive. The game against Armenia when they went two 0 up and then threw away two goals. I mean conceding two goals against Armenia anyway is just a no no, but. You know, absolutely bottling it and getting a penalty to pull yourself out of it at the ninety-first minute um, showed some of the things that I suppose you, you worry about. Like they, they look a bit fragile. Like I was watching that game, thinking this is just Aston Villa. You put a bit of pressure on them and they just crumble. <laughs> Only they're worse actually when you go through the record. Like so many times they're ahead against teams like Serbia, like Portugal, good teams in fairness, but Scotland. And then you know they, they get that bit of pressure and they wilt. I mean, go through the records of the Villa podcast. How often are we saying that about uh, about Villa? Um, that game against Armenia just showed that lack of intensity. Sometimes that you worry about. I think you would text me saying all you want's intensity. You know, before this game, lack of balls really, like you know testicles. I think that's what was supposed to be instilled in this project as well. You know, just people having that courage on the ball to to make something happen. But Liam. <laughs> I mean, you say all that, and like it is worrying, and like you want to just put those teams away. And forty-two thousand people are there for a game against Armenia on a Tuesday night. It doesn't really matter. They're roaring, they're shouting. They don't turn on the team when they can see two goals against Armenia. They're celebrating like madmen and women. Like <laughs> the injury time penalty, they're going absolutely nuts. The referee. At the Varjic, I've never seen pressure like it. Everyone going crazy that he still hasn't made that decision. The celebrations for the red card. Everybody's just totally engaged. And like that it really does count for something because we we can't say that that would be the case for any other regime because we've actually seen the total opposite happen under the last four regimes, going back to Steve Staunton, like Trapatoni, Martin O'Neill, Mick McCurphy. The, the country lost complete interest. And now at a time when we've got our worst options ever, like, and I'm not excusing, say, like, you know, not putting Armenia away in more convincing fashion or getting more results, but at a time when we have worse players than, we, than I can ever remember, everybody is so engaged by this team and this project. And I, I heard somebody, it was a football journalist, say, he actually said the words, the support for the team at the Aviva Stadium was a bit over the top. (laughs) 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 What does that mean? Like, talk about somebody wanting to see his narrative come true. You know, like like him him sticking his... He's obviously planted a flag somewhere, and now he wants that just to come through no matter what the evidence suggests in front of him. But the evidence to me suggests I'd like a 
a bit more convincing on results on performances and i think a part of that performances is like i'm really enjoying this way more than i ever have but also that everybody is just they're bought into this yeah yeah and it, it does seem to be especially the match going crowd seem to be anyway but like we can't get away from the fact that kenny's era has been pockmarked by completely inappropriate results and <laughs> good word level <laughs> levels of intensity against shit teams and conceding screamers in no small part because of a lack of intensity against those shit teams yeah. and like he's probably been the manager for three or four of our worst ever results on paper and like those are the only blemishes though in this time in the job i mean i'm saying i'm saying that like those blemishes aren't huge fucking bulging spots on the end of his nose and that and that will that will stop him from getting the shift at the end of the night from yeah. huge huge numbers of people out there and that's completely understandable but i'm not that shallow conan like you know i i can see that he's a that he's a good guy he's got an amazing heart and passion yeah. that would make your own heart burst regardless of whether or not you were hoping to burst that spot but <laughs> b- before before he got the job there was there was an interview with him where he explained that he wanted to change this idea that ireland's players couldn't pass the ball to each other like you know he, he had me at hello is what i'm saying <laughs> like his awkward shuffling from foot to foot hello but after years of watching seamus coleman hit 90 yard passes with a bit of backspin on them to give Shane Long a chance to beat the ball to the corner flag mm. or listening to Seamus Coleman explaining how fucking bottom seeds Georgia are good at football. Yeah. Like, you know, I was just washed over with relief that hearing him say that. Like, yes, we can pass the ball to each other. And I bet you if you do, we'll beat Georgia. We'll be competitive against Slovakia or Scotland or Wales and we'll lose to Germany. Yeah. So why not pass the ball to a fucking teammate? Like, you know, I have to watch every Ireland game. I don't want that to involve us looking to catch Georgia on the fucking break. But the, yeah. this is this is the thing Kenny hasn't gotten right either. Like, you know, there, there was a moment when we hammered Azerbaijan, Qatar, Luxembourg. I think we got 10 goals in three games. And, mm. you know, that's completely unheard of. But there's, those are the only three times that he sorted it out. Like, it's been a struggle against those teams of that really shit quality. And, and it was a struggle last night as well, except for the first 10 minutes of the second half when we did inject a bit of intensity into the game for those, I think it was actually only seven or eight minutes we scored and then took it off again. And when, <laughs> Ar- when Armenia scored last night, both goals, there was a sense of dread in the seconds afterwards. I mean, there were, there's nothing louder than a stadium falling silent. Yeah. And yeah. it was fucking screaming in silence last night, just... Not again, please no, not this again. Yeah. Like and, and I think I think the players and the fans, even as big as fans, know that that needs to be addressed. Like he can't be he can't be losing to Luxembourg, he can't be conceding two goals at home to Armenia, even if you do score a 91st minute penalty. But because of those other three games and because of the seven minutes last night, I know he can get it right. So I'm willing to give him more time and he's undoubtedly helped by the fact that he's he doesn't have that self-loathing like you know he's he's unencumbered by that most irish of traits like he loves his country and yeah. it's people coming he's a patriot <laughs> he's like bloody parnell like, you know, do what is beyond your strength even should you fail sometimes and jesus 
are we playing beyond our strength sometimes under Kenny? I mean, when you look coldly at the quality of the players that you're talking about there, that's available to him, particularly, really particularly in the front five. And we will fail sometimes. So let's pass the ball to each other while we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I'm going to put together a graph now. There's a lot of work in it, so I haven't bothered starting it yet. But I, I know that if you look at the amount of top level, mostly Premier League players that are available to the Ireland teams over the last 20 years, since 2003, and the, that that's obviously gone down as we've gotten to this era. And if you look at the goals scored, that's probably gone up at the same time, which is really something not to be sniffed at as well. But um, we're going to talk a bit more about Ireland. Uh, don't worry, we won't spend the rest of the podcast talking about Stephen Kennedy's Ireland team, but we'll do that in the award categories. I've been letting you you what? think you think Harry Maguire is a bigger loss than Harry Kane? Yeah, I do. You lose Harry Maguire. That's a big problem for Gareth Southgate. His biggest problem? Yeah, I think it's his biggest problem. Are you mental? This is analysis that you have to pay to get. <laughs> That's bollocks on so many levels because, like, number one is Harry Maguire. Oh, God, I cannot believe that Harry Maguire has played six games this season and he's made the same mistake five times. Number two, the drop-off from Harry Maguire to Tyrone Mings is not what Gary fucking Neville thinks it is. And I remember we were saying, Harry Maguire. Gary Neville, for some reason, has disappeared up Gareth Southgate's arse. I think we've got the best manager we could possibly have for an international team. I just don't know why Gary Neville is persistent in trying to talk him into Franz Beckenbauer. He's a fucking siren calling England the shipwreck. I think with Harry Maguire injured, I think the ability to go to a back four is lost. He was by far the worst player on the pitch. He's uh, really shit. <laughs> Imagine Harry Maguire was missing. Harry Maguire! <laughs> but it's absolutely unbelievable how whenever you play a ball to a fridge, you end up conceding the chance. The most blocks, most interceptions, most headers, most tackles. For Man United, he <laughs> had more blocks than Lindelof. Harry Maguire! Harry Maguire. He just cannot get the ball out of his feet. And I know he cost 80 million, so it must be difficult for people to, to make the link that he's actually shit, but just make that link. Harry Maguire. 50% of Gareth Southgate's preferred team started the Champions League final three weeks ago. We've collected more trophies in England than Harry Maguire has convictions in Greece. Harry Maguire! You would pick a team with Maguire and Calvert-Lewin rather than Mings and Harry fucking Kane. 
uh, uh, apologies to the fans. There's no emotion behind it. England's most important player is Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire! <laughs> that is just insane stuff. Grow up, Gary Neville. Let's start with the I've Got the Receipts Award. <laughs> Another very, very early cash in from me. I think I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get value out of these receipts far too soon, too often. But I'm always just worried it's going to blow back up in my face if I don't cash in too early. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's go keep it on the Ireland theme here for a second. Uh, Martin O'Neill. Last time I checked, this game was about results. <laughs> Damien Delaney. There has to be accountability. It's a results business. Well, we've just beaten Armenia. We've gotten the three points. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> and you can actually throw in Niall Quinn there as well. You know, remember his classic one at the time? It was like, and he said it so patronizingly as well as if Stephen Kenny was getting things so stupidly wrong. He said, "What?" Anyway, he was asked, "What? What does he need to do for the next games?" And he said, "Bring senior players." <laughs> to which anybody who knows anything about Irish football were like, which players is he talking about? Who was missing? And like, this is the like that. That's the funny thing about the Armenia game. Like uh, Stephen Kenny is sort of criticizing. Like, look, I, I get it to a point because you are the manager, and these things happen when you're managing it. Obviously, an operation. So like when when things are going really well, these things don't happen as much. But I mean, Jeff Henry just doesn't bother running filling space, getting back when he's got ample time to get back and try and correct the, the errors that he's made for the first goal that Armenia scored. And then Connor Harahan, I mean, I've never seen a worse pass in my life. Like the decision, the laziness, like he just gets the ball left back and he just strokes it across the two Armenia players. It, it, it parks up 20 yards in the middle of the box, just outside the box. And there's no Irish player in sight because Jeff Hendricks will be walking up the pitch to, to make sure he's not going to be available to receive it. And I can't understand what he was trying to do. I assume maybe he was thinking about it might eventually get out to the right back. It was it was a pathetic pass, really, like a, a real anger-inducing pass. But if you go back to the results business merchants and you go back to Niall Quinn's and bring these senior players who ended up making the mistake, I think there's just a swell of... like I think, I think the support from around the country is what pisses off these ex-pros and ex-managers most about the Kenny team. I don't think it's personally Stephen Kenny, really, but they can't abide the <laughs> they can't abide the amount of support he's getting and they can't understand it. And I think they perceive that as an indirect fuck you to them. You know, especially like you know, Martin O'Neill in fairness kept his counsel for the most part, but like Mick McCarthy as well. It's like well these people wanted me gone and now they're willing to put up with this and you know they can see that more people are willing to get behind this man who they think lacks experience you know lacks experience to coach league one players as it turns out for the Ireland team like it's not like <laughs> he really needed to go on a journey of international management to build up his pedigree to take this job because like, this is the Ireland job for god's sake and yeah I just think a lot of what they've said can come back and bite them very easily yeah, the thing is, if you go through the team at the time Niall Quinn was, was calling for more senior pros, I mean, the only senior pros that he wasn't picking were Hendrick for Malumbi. Like, I wouldn't pick Hendrick off the ground. If you- <laughs> <laughs> Robinson, who, who was riddled with COVID for half the games and had only 
played about 10 times for his country. And then mm. the other options were Shane Duffy for senior pro, Kieran Clark, or James McLean for senior pro, Enda Stevens. Yeah. And, and this narrative just caught fire because it sounded, it sounded like something that might be true. Because a lad who was a professional footballer because he was tall said it. So it had to be true. Niall Quinn couldn't possibly be wrong. He couldn't making this up. Couldn't be making this up. He was saying it because there was a couple of players who were under the age of 23 in the squad. Stephen Kenny wasn't ignoring any players. There are no players. That's the problem. Like Those were the senior players that he was leaving out. And I think you're right, yeah. Obviously, Martin O'Neill and and Mick McCarthy are not happy. Nobody likes having a mirror held up to them. Yeah. Like, you know, they had they had gone out of their way to explain to us how shit the Ireland players were, and they were right, largely. But their reaction to that was to completely go into their shells and play no football at all. I mean, it oh. suited their whole philosophy and their whole careers as football managers as well, so that was handy. Yeah. But that was, that was just what they, they... They can't believe this, that this arrogant little jumped-up shit is actually trying to pa- get his players to pass the ball to each other. That must be really fucking galling for them. And then the ex-pros as well, they're obviously just fucking bitter about this as well. I mean, they had spent their earning careers having to run around, having to chase 80-yard balls into the corner, get up in support of Shane Long. Hopefully Shane Long will kick it off somebody's ankles and make him win a corner. Like, you know, they're not fucking happy about this either. What, you mean we were allowed to kick the ball to each other all this time? What the fuck were we doing then? Yeah, I mean, you're you're saying there about Martin O'Neill and Mick McCarthy. Yeah, they said it far too often about how shit their players were, and and their response to that was to to just give up and not bother subjecting Jack Grealish or Declan Rice to this. You know, just like like I know Declan Rice played three times for Ireland, so people might be like, "Well, fuck him," but no, like we we I I still remember clearly we had Moldova at home in a qualifier match, and Declan Rice wasn't even making the fucking squad. He was playing with West Ham at the time. Obviously, there's so many opportunities in the years before that as well to to get this boy in. He would have played against Moldova at home. We had two goalkeepers on the bench. I remember I was at that game thinking, where is Declan Rice? Um, but look, you know, maybe he might not have come. Anyway, no, no, anybody who listens to that from Ireland will just be like, well, fuck him. Like, nobody wants him on the team. But, I mean, that like that was just their solution to give up. Just the players are never going to be good. Fuck it. And the ironic thing is he actually had way better players at their disposal. Yeah, I don't I don't think Declan Rice gets in now ahead of Josh Cullen anyway, so... <laughs> The Conan Doherty I'm getting Delph at the back of my shirt worst Twitter shout of the week. Fabian Delph Fabian Delph has retired from football at the age of 32. <laughs> He's been 32 for seven years. I mean, I, I assumed during the Man City All or Nothing documentary, which I'm sure you've ate through as well, um, I, I assumed Fabian Delph was just enjoying the, the, the moonlight of his career. Like, the way the way he was speaking in the changing room, he wasn't playing. He was just, and he had the goal to tell other people what to do and how to keep their heads up and how to sort their attitude out. And I was like, well, maybe maybe that's just what he's there for now. He's an old player. He's been around the block. He's that was fucking four or five years ago, and he's telling me now he's only thirty two and he's retiring. Well, thirty two is pretty old for a snake, isn't it? So he has to retire. <laughs> Don't normally live that long. Um, yeah, well, let's talk about the worst Twitter shout of the week. Has to go to Jamie Carragher. He said, and I quote, only one or two players at the most from this current England team would get into the 2002 or 2006 teams. And the same was the 96, 98 teams. And I thought, 98? 
think in 96 he got to the semi-final. 98 I went, just let's have a look at this. Beat Tunisia, lost to Romania, beat Colombia, lost to Argentina, World Cup over. <laughs> they beat Tunisia and Colombia, that was the World Cup. Won the Fair Play Award, fair play. 2006, remember, like, like that was the that was the disaster one. Like they, they all stayed out in Baden-Baden. They all brought their wives and girlfriends. And like, you know, the funny thing is that Baden-Baden then became this wag central place. It's, it's, it's a spa capital of Europe. Like the, the World Cup became a first because of all the stuff that was surrounding this golden generation from 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 on the outside of the the camp and you know they went and they beat paraguay and they beat trinidad they drew with sweden beat ecuador lost to portugal they just do what england teams did back then like as soon as they came up against the slightest bit of pressure and they do now really in fairness they lost and i thought i thought, I thought there was a a reckoning in not just the english media but in the english psyche that they had a lot of good players playing at high level back then. That's why they ended up calling it the golden generation. But they realized to to win tournaments, to beat these other teams, to figure out why these other teams were always dominating them on the ball, they needed more technical players. They needed players like Paul Scholes who couldn't make the teams. And, and that's why they went on this journey, a very impressive journey of creating the type of player that they have now in abundance. And now you're telling me that one or two players at most would make it into any of those teams. The first, I think the first thing to say is that, I think I said this last week as well, Italy won the Euros with three or four top players and they played lovely football, controlled aggression in and out of possession. So we, we need to, we need not get bogged down in the idea that England have players or they don't. I mean, they definitely have players that are better than this turgid shit they're turning out, much like Ireland. And they could they could beat all the teams they've beaten playing better football and they would have beaten... They would have had a better chance, sorry, of beating Croatia, Belgium and Italy by playing better football as well. I think that's the key problem for England. They definitely have good players. But I, I also said last week that this England squad, when it really comes down to it, is, is four right-backs, Bellingham, Kane and seven other forwards. And if we go through then, if you want, if you want to compare the teams, it's only it's only a right back. One of the right backs, Kane, and two of the seven forwards that are getting into any of the combined teams. One of the right backs, two of the remaining five forwards, Bellingham, Tony Adams, Frank Lampard, Beckham, and Owen would all be on the bench. So I don't think Carragher's actually miles off, but his his working out is all wrong. <laughs> Let's just say, if I was an examiner, I'd be dubious about how he got his answer, and more importantly, why he got his answer. But yeah, like there's definitely England definitely have a plethora of good players, but unfortunately, they can't pick that many of them, and they've got big holes in in the other positions. Yeah. Let's go to the Sam Allardyce We are tactics him award because. You were talking about the Ireland-Armenia game there. Ireland also played Scotland. Cracker game. like Really enjoyable watch. They threw away a lead, um, but they, they lost 2-1. Uh, and I, I, I was stunned because during the game, the RTE commentary team seemed a bit panicked. Like they, were, they were properly spooked when Scotland got a corner or a free kick. And then they said, I mean, Scotland have a set-piece coach. And they were keen to warn us that Scotland have the set-piece coach on a number of occasions. And then it cuts to the sideline. And it's Austin McPhee. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I fucking, I've seen this set-piece coach at work. He was good at the time. And they stopped 
doing his job. He started letting Douglas Louise, which turns out was a good idea, started letting Douglas Louise hit everything. And now it turns out for the Scotland job, he's just banked himself the handiest gig of all time. Like he's basically told them, you know, just told all the boys, go hit that thing as quickly as you fucking can before anything can be set up. Scotland were putting the ball down and honestly, there was one player in the box at times and they were swinging in a corner. And I was like, what, what a job he has landed himself up there. Yeah, I had actually forgotten about McPhee's moonlighting, but it looked like he was fucking drinking a bit of moonshine before he was setting them up, or not setting them up, was the case maybe. <laughs> just fucking tossing under the box. It was absolutely <laughs> insane stuff as well. And it's not like Ireland aren't fucking well set up for that as well. The free centre halves didn't venture over to the halfway line against Scotland, and they're all really fucking good in the air. But yeah. I actually think the handiest job he had was obviously the time where he just sat back for about two months and told Matty Cash to take Froans. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was interesting seeing the Scotland match in full because I think we've often looked at John McGinn's output for Scotland and compared it to the Irish one and the Irish one, the Villa one. And, uh, and people pining for John McGinn to play in a position that he plays in for Scotland, which is a number 10 role i don't think he gets in a number 10 team like you know we've we've got enough players to play number 10 and he's i don't think he's done enough to warrant that but like you know we see the goals see the assist that he gets for scotland then i looked at him he didn't do anything against ireland for one like he just you bone crunched a couple of players with tackles he avoided about four yellow cards and i looked at the average positions afterwards and he was further forward than Lyndon Dykes the striker <laughs> like, this is the guy who's supposed to be playing off the striker and like you know considerably in terms of those average positions like they, they normally don't lie like they, they show where players should generally be he was the striker it was crazy and the thing is I don't actually remember him on the ball that far forward really he had one bad shot that he just dragged wide of his right, right foot and oh yeah and he had a classic shot remember he had 30 yards of space but he, ha- he had about 10, 15 yards to run into towards the box to have a to have a spike, <laughs> and he just decided, nah, I'll hit this from 35 yards out. Uh, like your classic John McGinn. But yeah, we, we, I was just stunned to see how far forward he was and like not, not having that great an impact. But he has been playing well for Scotland by all accounts. Yeah, but can, can you imagine the bile we'd be spitting if we came away from a Villa game that had McGinn more advanced than Watkins? I mean... It- I'd need a new mic and I'd probably need a fucking <laughs> operation on my esophagus, to be honest. It's like the most surprising <laughs> tactical to- ploy I've ever seen with the most unsurprising outcome. It was fucking useless. It was yeah. an absolute non-event. And I, I don't think John McGinn... I didn't think John McGinn could annoy me more than he currently is for Villa. <laughs> Turns out all he had to do to achieve yeah. that was put on an opposition jersey. And seeing him like that just really made me wonder how... How opposition fans seem to love him so much, you know, how he gets linked to teams, how teams think that he's great for Aston Villa, because he's just really fucking annoying. I'm surprised he's not just universally despised the way he runs around the football pitch. Yeah, I find myself tweeting about him afterwards, you know, just like a classic, I I hate an opposition (laughs) player, you know. That, that that opposition player has wound me up today and I'm going to tweet about him or we're going to save it for the podcast or whatever. And like it was... Oh, just the cockiness of it, like there's a bit of arrogance around that Scotland team, which I find very strange. Like especially you know over Ireland, like they were embarrassed to lose three 0 to Ireland in June. Whereas I think we were watching that game, thinking, yeah, like, that, that that can happen. You know, we we've got we've got a, a manager who wants to play a bit of football. And we've got some players who can 
open up Scottish players. I didn't think that was that mad that it happened. It was great that it happened, but like the fallout from that in the Scottish media was severe. And these they, they went. Like, it sort of reminded me of the remember Denmark. At least Denmark weren't Scotland. It reminded me of their superiority complex they had over Ireland and. The facts there was that they played six times in two years and they'd beaten us one time. They, like, they beat us one time and they mm. had this mad complex over us. But uh, Scotland were 2 1 up anyway, and they won a corner of about 90 seconds of injury time left. And McGinn just gave it the double fist pump to the crowd. And I thought, fuck off. Like, you haven't done anything the whole game. You just, like, that's the first thing you've done. You've won a corner. And then, <laughs> and then he proceeded. To not use his arse the way he can use, like to give away, to get away the ball straight away. It didn't matter, Ireland didn't do anything with it. But yeah, like you're so right to point that out. He wound me up when he wasn't playing for my team, and I'm saying that as if he doesn't wind me up at the minute. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Scottish superiority complex thing is baffling, but maybe it's just a case that the the Scottish media and the Scottish players are more aware of the actual quality of the Irish players than some people yeah. in the Irish media are whenever they're demanding we just blow these teams away as if we aren't riddled with championship and league one players in our front five. <laughs> All right, last one. Questions we can't answer. You want this to anyway. Um, well, shout out for Emmy Martin is here because like, his stats are just hilarious at this stage now with Argentina. I mean, I would bank them to win... The World Cup just because of just because of Emmy Martin is and like he's now played eighteen times for them. He's kept twelve clean sheets, no defeats. He's won two cups like in those eighteen games, the Copa America and the Finalissima against Italy. Like it's it's a phenomenal record and he just seems to have that aura about him that you know maybe maybe comes with having an Argentina team in front of him as well. Yeah, but they don't know he's got an aura. He's got an aura about him whenever he's got that fucking Aston Villa team in front of him as well. So uh, <laughs> it's unsurprising <laughs> that whenever he's got a better team in front of him, he might he might have a little bit more charisma, a little bit more arrogance even. But yeah, it's fucking great. It's it's incredible that it, it's taken this long for him to get into the Argentina team, even allowing for the fact that he wasn't playing very regularly for Arsenal because you know Sergio Romero wasn't playing very fucking often for Man United either. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, I wanted to just mention Argentina because I was moving on to Brazil, and I mean, yeah, Brazil look really good. They might end up winning the World Cup the way they're going. They they look really tasty, but how can they leave out Gabriel Jesus? I mean, talking about cockiness and arrogance, and like, what what would be the thinking there? Did not even bring him in the squad? I get they've got a rapid front line and. You know, it's really good. Jesus is really good as well. Like, what did he? And he's he's fucking flying. What's the thinking there? Well, by by all accounts, Neymar was playing on the left of a midfield three, and you know <laughs> that's that's how well stocked they are in attack. You know, they're, they're you have to find the room for Neymar somewhere else. I mean, <laughs> I, I also think we're all getting a bit carried away with Jesus here. Like, like we've never seen. We've never seen a player drop down a level and initially catch fire. Like, why are we all ignoring the previous six seasons in favor of these six games he's played this year? It's it's insane. Like, he's not doing that well either. Like, he's he's not walking on water. He's not turning water into wine. He's running around a bit and scoring a goal every two games. <laughs> and let's remember he's he's also replaced lack of threat up front. I mean, it's it's all fucking relative. Of course, he's not brilliant. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, like it's it's hard to argue. Like Richardson's flying, and he's yeah, Richardson's just an interesting player, isn't he? You know, they they played with a front three against Tunisia, which was Neymar, Rafinha, and Richardson. But the game you're talking about was the the game before that, and uh, I think that was against Ghana. And they had Vinicius Junior playing as well. That's why they ended up just dropping Neymar back to try and fit in Vinicius too. <laughs> they ended up bringing Vinicius on against Tunisia at halftime. So probably that was the case when Neymar went back then because of that. Like it's, it's it's an embarrassment of riches in terms of attack, in terms of a team really. Like it, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty frightening setup there. I just thought. I wonder. I think. I actually think that the Brazil manager just doesn't like him as a striker because he bottled it basically. Like he bottled his chance playing in the number nine role. Like he, did, he didn't, he didn't just stand there and operate. Now obviously he was used to Pep's coaching. He was playing out wide. He was coming in. He was getting pullbacks and finishing it off every so often. But when Brazil asked him to play there, he couldn't hold the line for them, and he started drifting out. He started going wide, like. You know, Richardson doesn't think about that. Like he, he backs himself to the fucking hilt, and maybe maybe they just don't like the cut of Hazes' jib anymore. Yeah, maybe not, but maybe also as well. He's just the managers just decided he's not as good as Richardson, Neymar, Rafinha, uh, Vinicius, Ant- Rodrigo, Anthony. Firmino, Anthony. Like it's all right, Con. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes a player, whenever he's amongst those players of an equal level, won't get picked by the manager. We don't need to. We don't need to explain this. This isn't. This isn't absolutely like you know. Oh my God, Gabriel Jesus! He's gonna <laughs> score four goals this season. <laughs> I'll keep an eye on that one as well. Um, no, that's great. Thanks a million for joining me. We'll be back on Sunday. I think the boys are back in action, so uh, please tune in for that. Um, we'll have a bit of fun anyway, no matter what happens. <laughs> that's Dude. one thing I can say. Are you asking me to watch the match? Yeah. <laughs> please, please tune in for that. <laughs> I know you don't want to. <laughs> anyway, thanks a million for listening. See you later. That wind is calling my name. And I-